Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back into more outdoors. Don't forget we have a text message board. If you'd like to send us a text, questions, comments, suggestions, we'd love to hear from you at 870-870. Comes here into the studio real time. This segment, uh, we turn our, our thoughts to the Gulf Council, the Gulf of Mexico Council, and joining us to talk about their recent meeting, what was discussed, what the outcome was, and what this will mean to you as an offshore fisherman in the state of Louisiana is Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries Assistant Secretary Patrick Banks. Patrick, thanks for taking the time to get with us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Don. Good morning, everybody. Tell us, first of all, about the Gulf Council. What is their makeup, who's on it, and what is their responsibility? Well, it's a 17-member board that is made up from representatives of all the Gulf states. Uh, the state, the head of the uh, state fisheries management agency is, is for each state, is one member uh, from each state. And then there's typically a recreational representative and a commercial representative from the general public who is also uh, on the council for each state. And then the final member is made up uh, by the head of the Southeast region uh, for the NOAA Fisheries Agency, which is the federal agency. So that's the typical makeup. Um, Right now, Florida has four seats. The rest of the Gulf states has three total seats each. And then we have uh, the federal representative. And that, that body is is charged with uh, developing rules and regulations to manage the uh, federal fishery species off of our coasts. So they are the top agency, so to speak. In other words, uh, they do not come under any direction from uh, NOAA or National Marine Fisheries Service other than what they do within their own halls and their own meetings, correct? Well, not entirely. They they do... Uh, uh, develop the rules and regulations, and then those rules and regulations ultimately have to be approved by the U.S. Secretary of Commerce, which is uh, the head of NOAA, uh, the agency that, under which NOAA falls. And so there is some oversight uh, from NOAA and from the U.S. Department of Commerce, uh, but typically the, the Secretary of Commerce uh, codifies what is passed through the Gulf Council. They publish those rules, and they become federal law. So this latest meeting that you attended, what was the order of business there? Well, it was uh, largely a informational-only meeting. Uh, there was not a lot of uh, final action taken on any one particular thing, but we did get some very interesting information on a variety of fronts. I'd say most notably that will be of interest to the anglers is that it appears that um, we will have a spring 
season uh, opening up for Greater Amberjack for the for the private sector. So um, there was quite a bit of fishing in this past fall portion of the season, but the quota was not was not caught, and so NOAA is going to be able to reopen the season probably uh, May the first uh, to private recreational angling for Greater Amberjack off of our coasts. So that that was good good news uh, for all of us to hear. That is. Uh, so I guess what does this mean as far as uh, being in conjunction with or at least giving something to target when snappers close? What what was discussed as far as snapper season? Well, that's, that's a good question. The season structure for Greater Amberjack does not follow the same season structure in general for Red Snapper. And obviously Red Snapper now um, – uh, is in the control of each of the states as to when to open the season. But Greater Amberjack, the season structure actually starts in August and then it ends uh, the following July. And it's typically open August, September, October, and then if there's enough quotas, it's typically reopened in May of the following year within that season structure. So, so we we will have an opportunity or our anglers will have an opportunity to catch uh, greater amberjack during the May portion of the season, but it will likely be closed by the time uh, we're able to open uh, red snapper. Now that's not an absolute assurance, but, uh, but so there may be a few days of overlap there, but, but we do think that it, the greater amberjack will then reopen towards the end of our red snapper season. So I think we're going to have some opportunity to, to catch both of those, species within the, the legal framework, but we'll just have to see how those seasons and those catch rates play out. Right. So how does this play in with state water seasons versus federal? Um, the state has the option in its own state waters to to set seasons based on what? Well, we certainly have the authority to uh, to set seasons within our own state waters. So our commission certainly could set a season for anything it wanted to within our within our state waters. Uh, however, except for the case of, of Red Snapper, where we got a, man, a state management in place, we typically follow the uh, follow the uh, concurrent regulations that are going on in federal waters, so that there's not a discrepancy. Um, now, Greater Amberjack, I think, is another opportunity for us at the Gulf Council level to try to achieve state management. We've proven that it works in the red snapper fishery. I think that it can work in the Greater Amberjack fishery as well. Um, but it will be, of course, some heavy lifting at the Gulf Council level, just like red snapper was over the course of several years. But um, from a Greater Amberjack standpoint, we tend to have the same concurrent season in state waters as we do in federal uh, water simply because greater amberjack and state waters are are just not all that common like red snapper is. Right, uh, I'm looking at uh, season length in days among the five Gulf states, and we seem to have the longest number of days in Louisiana with 109, but yet we're uh, about third as far as the total poundage that are allocated to us. So how does that happen? Do, do they have Bigger limits? Well, no. Um, of course, Florida has the largest portion of the overall Gulf quota, and that simply is based on historical landings 
and that's that's how that got parsed out. They have the by far the largest amount of effort out of Florida and ca- and have the ability to catch the most fish very quickly. So they had a very short season, and that's simply because uh, they have a lot of they have a lot of anglers going out, and they can catch a lot of fish very quickly. Um, we um, we had the longest season simply because well for a couple of reasons one we're able to count the fish through our quill program very accurately and uh and so we know almost to the fish how much is being caught and and our anglers we just don't have as many anglers in louisiana as they do in a place like florida or alabama and so it takes a while for our poundage to be caught up and so we were able to, to stay open for 109 days this year which is it's which is really really great uh, and we're certainly hoping we can we can do that again this coming season. Yeah, so it's based on the number of anglers out there putting the pressure on how many days you get. The fewer anglers, it takes longer to catch your quota. I see where Alabama reached 98.4%, Mississippi was 99.1%, and we were at 103.9%, and Texas was at 98.3%. Florida, less than 75 uh, Are they not using uh, similar to what we have at Lock Creel? To account for that? Well, they they have a uh, a survey design that they use. Um, certainly, Lacreel is is the I would say the gold standard in terms of how precise of a catch estimate we can achieve, and theirs is just not uh, as good. And so, uh, they ended up with seventy about seventy five percent. Part of the reason for that is is they have still have such a long delay between the time that that the fish is caught and when their survey is able to actually count that fish. And so unlike Lacreel, they're not able to close uh, and open very quickly uh, because it takes such a delay to get their numbers in. So by the time they, they thought they were at their limit and they closed, and by the time they got their final numbers in, uh, it showed it was 75% and it was too late for them to reopen uh, to try to catch up more fish. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the design yeah. um, advantages of Lacreel, and what makes it so great is the, is the quick response rate that it has. Right. And Lacreel was uh, developed in Louisiana. We can take credit for that. I'm assuming Alabama, Mississippi, and Texas use a similar program to get their account? Uh, no, not at all. Alabama and Mississippi have mandatory uh, electronic reporting for their uh, private recreational uh, anglers, and so um, theirs is is almost like a census tally rather than a survey tally like ours is. And Texas has a uh, a design that was developed many many years ago that that it has to do with uh, 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 counting boats and uh, counting boat trailers at, at popular fishing spots to try to understand effort. It's a, a, a design that's not similar at all to Lacreel and. Uh, so we've got all got a different method of counting the fish, uh, but we in Louisiana have received full certification and calibration from the feds as uh, as a comparable system to what the feds have. The other states are still working through that that approval process. Mm-hmm. Uh, did red red fish, red drum offshore come up at all in the meeting? I know that's been discussed before, trying to bring back uh, maybe some fish to harvest in the Gulf offshore waters, which enjoy game fish status right now. Yes, it certainly did. We, we discussed uh, some, some management criteria for red drum, um, but the, the bottom line is, is we still do not have enough data 
from those big, from that portion of the population that lives offshore, those big uh, spawning aggregation of bull reds. We just don't have enough population level data from that segment of the population to do a full stock assessment. The last full stock assessment was done in the 1980s. And so without that stock assessment, it's tough to change those regulations. So the recommendation from the council was to maintain the, the optimum yield from that population at zero retention from the federal waters. So um, assuming that NOAA and the Secretary of Commerce agree, then um, redfish will still enjoy that game status and that protection in federal waters from for the foreseeable future. But it certainly would be nice to have a full stock assessment for redfish for a variety of reasons, but uh, but one, so that we understand uh, how healthy that stock is. Uh, as far as lemonfish, cobia, uh, there's been a lot of talk about that. A lot of people are very concerned that there's going to be uh, some serious cuts and less cobia being able to be taken, which is a very popular fish in our waters. What was discussed with regard to cobia? Well, that wasn't a tremendous amount of discussion, but you're exactly right. Uh, it does appear that we may be headed for some uh, additional regulations at some point on cobia. One of the things that the council is, is having difficulty with is the differences in opinions among the states. We have not heard very much in Louisiana that there's a problem with cobia. Uh, however, we hear a lot of public testimony from the Florida anglers that they don't see cobia along their beaches in the spring like they used to. Same thing in Alabama. So um, we had spent some time trying to uh, gather more information on cobia to try to determine which way we needed to go. Um, again, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult topic uh, to grapple with, especially here in Louisiana, because we just don't see the problem with cobia that they seem to be having in other states. And so uh, we're not at the point where additional regulations are, are, are happening yet, but there continues to be talk because what we're hearing from some of the anglers in the Gulf is there are problems with cobia and something needs to be done. So uh, that will continue to be discussed. But for now, cobia remains the same. Very good. Patrick, we're going to take a break. we come back, if you would, uh, maybe just kind of give an overview of uh, what the – what fishermen can expect as far as uh, regulations on offshore fishing, including the amberjack, the red snapper, cobia, or any others that uh, have been discussed there. And I know a lot of people make plans, their vacations, that some people determine whether they're going to buy a new boat. And all of this is hinged on the information on what's going to be available to fish for in the Gulf. So as precisely an estimate you can give, we'd really appreciate that. We'll be right back with Secretary, Assistant Secretary of Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries, Patrick Banks. If you got a question or a comment, 87870 is the best way. Text it to us, or if you can give us a call, it's 504-260-6368. And we're wrapping up our conversation with Assistant Secretary, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, Patrick Banks, who recently attended the Gulf Council meeting. Uh, a number of items were discussed. And, and, Patrick, if you would, and, I mean, we can't hold you to this, but basically looking at the numbers uh, of the estimates and the landings and can you tell fishermen if you would suspect that any increases in the total allocation will be granted or possibly we'll see any changes in the daily creel or size limit or the number of fishing days compared to last year? For, I guess what you'd say, the, the main three, amberjack, red snapper, cobia, and maybe even sharks. I, we haven't even talked about sharks if that was discussed. 
Well, uh, I guess let's start with uh, the main species, and that's red snapper. I, I don't see any changes to the red snapper uh, scenario for this coming year, which is uh, certainly a good thing. I think we've enjoyed the last two seasons of very good fishing, very good opportunity for the anglers. And, and th- we will be entering into the very first year of our official state management of red snapper. And so we will be going in front of our Wildlife and Fisheries Commission in, sometime in the next couple of months to actually set that season. And I would expect that our recommendation to the commission, of course, it's the commission's uh, decision, but um, our recommendation would likely be to open that weekend of Memorial Day uh, and run that season through the summer as long as, as our quota can hold out. And um, and I think that the two fish per person per day works well to give us the most days of opportunity, but certainly it's up to the commission. If they decide that they want to change those daily creels, then, then they certainly can do that uh, as long as we stay our season within quota. Uh, in terms of amberjack, I think that those will likely stay the same. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we will, uh, NOAA Fisheries will reopen that season in May. Um, and so there is a possibility that we get a, a day or two of overlap with the start of red snapper season. Uh, towards the end of May this year, and then then the federal season will close at the end of May and then reopen uh, August 1st. So uh, there's another good opportunity for overlap of seasons of red snapper and greater amberjack towards the end of the summer. So those are, the, uh, the, you know, the two big ones in my mind. Um, Kobe, I don't see any changes to the regulations there, uh, but uh, at least for this season, but, but I do know that and it continues to be discussed at uh, Gulf Council level. And then sharks, um, wow, that's a, it's a big topic. I know a lot of anglers are concerned about the number of sharks out there uh, and, and what it's doing to both recreational and commercial fishing. Um, I guess what we have to remember is that we're seeing a lot more sharks because the management measures that have been taken and the uh, under the tenets of Magnuson-Stevens largely have worked. And we're seeing a uh, an increase in population of sharks. So a lot of these species of sharks that were on the decline have have rebounded, and and that's really why we're seeing more sharks. So from an ecological standpoint, I think it's a good thing. But certainly from a competition standpoint with our anglers, uh, it's a little bit difficult. But uh, that's do that's, you do you see any parallels with sharks that we saw with the red snapper where? When the feds were managing it, there was an obvious uh, gap there between what was really there and what was being allowed to be caught. Do you think there's a similar situation existing with sharks? Is the is the inventorying of the species as accurate as it could be, or might there be a better method? Well, that's a that's a good question. I mean, the inventorying of of all the fishery species. Um, is the same depending on where you are in the Gulf. Certainly, we're we're able to count sharks through our lacreal program, and we do. Uh, so uh, I think the counting is better these days with all of these uh, different state systems, uh, such as lacreal. Uh, and I'm not so sure that there's a there's a discrepancy between what is out there and what we're allowed to harvest. I think that the Gulf Council knows full well that we have a lot more sharks these days. But, Similar to snapper, uh, just because you have a lot of a lot of fish doesn't mean that it's a good idea to catch a lot at that same time. Think of it like your uh, your pine plantation forest that you just that you just uh, that you just planted, and you've got a tremendous amount of 
small two to three to four year old trees and there's a lot of them but uh, you don't really need to start harvesting those until they get quite a bit bigger so um, I think the same thing goes for some of those species of sharks we, we need to get that population back strong and healthy before some additional tape can be allowed but I think in terms of counting the sharks I think the systems are very good uh, because of, of great programs like Lacreel. We, we have a good handle on what is being harvested. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what about getting back to the amberjack size or creel limit changes? Would you suspect any of that? Not, not, not this year, no, sir. I think everything's going to mm-hmm. stay the same. Um, so uh, I think, the, the, again, the good news for amberjack is we're going to have a May season, and we'll likely have some when it reopens in the fall. We'll have some some days where they can catch both snapper and amberjack. Is, is the is the likely scenario? Got it. Patrick, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Is there anything else before we go you'd like to get out there to the public with regard well, to the um, council this, on the uh, offshore fishery? Well, not not on the offshore, but inshore. I just want to remind uh, some of our uh, avid inshore uh, fishermen that we are starting our rounds of public comment uh, meetings for speckled trout regulations. The first meeting will be Monday uh, in Gray, Louisiana, which is near Homa at the North Branch Library. And so um, the second meeting will be in Baton Rouge on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. So, so please uh, try to make it out uh, and visit with us and give us your ideas on speckled trout and speckled trout management. It's a very important issue, I know, to a lot of people as, to, as it is to us, and we appreciate all the public's involvement. Very good. Patrick, always a pleasure. Look forward to our next visit. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All righty. Patrick Banks, Assistant Secretary of Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. And, yeah, I want to reiterate what he stated about those speckled trout meetings. Very, very important because I know a lot of you have opinions about that. And what generally happens is when regulations are changed and someone's not happy with the change and ask them, well, did you go out there? Did you did you voice your opinion? Did you send an email to the commissioners? No, I just griped about it on Facebook. Well, <laughs> That's not a way to get involved in fishery or game management is uh, griping on social media. Uh, Emailing directly to the commissioners, going there in person and speaking, uh, having your comments heard and recorded, uh, that's the way to do it. Uh, I don't think this is going to be like a lot of issues where they get very light turnouts. I'm I'm really counting on the the speckled trout and saltwater fishermen to really turn out at these events. Well, that's going to wrap it up. We've got a little bit of a shortened show this morning. Uh, that's so I can get my skipper costume on and get on over to the crew of Bilge in Slidell. If you're going to be around there, it starts at noon. Come on by and uh, holler at me, and I'll try to hit you with a, one of those 3,000 deadly Dudley fishing baits we got. And I'll see you again next week right back here. By the way, I think I'm filling in for Newell Norman on Friday from uh, – from what time does he come on? 10 to 1. Yeah, 10 to 1. We'll be probably talking things other than fishing and hunting, but you never know. See you then. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.